Welcome to episode two of our Something Quite New podcast, brought to you by sponsorship and communications agency SQN. I'm Dan McLaren. And I'm Chris Hughes. In this podcast, we're aiming to bring you the latest news, views and opinions from across the ever-evolving world of sports business. In each episode, we invite leading lights from across the industry to offer their own insights, taking a close look at the challenges and opportunities that are presenting themselves. In the first episode of the podcast, we spoke at length to Andy Westlake, chair of the European Sponsorship Association, ESSA. The power and benefits of sports sponsorship is something that we at SQN advocate strongly. In recent weeks, we've been out and about activating for sponsors at events such as Cycling's Tour de Romandy in Switzerland, the FIA World Touring Car Cup in Hungary, as well as at MotoGP in Austin, Texas. From a busy spring period, it's going to be a bumper summer in the sports world with the ICC Cricket World Cup, FIFA Women's World Cup, Tour de France, Le Mans, and more local to us, Henny Royal Regatta. I don't know how I'm going to keep up with it all. I'm sure you'll manage, Dan. You just have to make sure you have your phone fully charged and handy wherever you are. Just as Tata Communications has been doing their MotoGP Connect campaign, searching for MotoGP's most dedicated fans. If you're a keen bike fan and want to win the chance to attend the Catalonia Grand Prix in June and meet star rider Cal Crutchlow, check out MotoGP Connect on the hashtag. And from bikes, we move now on to basketball and the featured guest in our second Something Quite New podcast. Joe Edwards is the head of digital marketing at FIBA Media, part of the International Basketball Federation, the sports governing body. He has been in B2B tech marketing for 15 years and in sport for the last two. Basketball is one of the world's most watched sports with a huge global audience and an equally passionate grassroots community. Internationally, FIBA organises a vast number of events each year, including the 2019 World Cup in China, due to take place later this year. Joe is a massive basketball fan, so it's pretty much his dream job. He's also a fellow podcaster with his show, The Real Marketing Rap. I was lucky enough to be a guest on Joe's show shortly before we recorded this episode. So if you want to hear more from me, either look up the podcast on your platform of choice or have a look in the description below for a link. But for now, let's listen to what Joe had to say, including the pressures of living up to the high standards set by the National Basketball Association, the NBA. And also how they work to increase viewership and revenue, but without damaging the growth of people playing the game at all levels. In terms of what the role encompasses, uh, is a couple of pieces really. I would say, for the most part, look at our earned channels and then some of the kind of OTT piece. And when I, when I say earned, it's we obviously have broadcast partners. Uh, we work with those marketing teams to try and make sure that they've got all the content they need to push out in their channels. We, I'd kind of put those in a bit of an earned bucket, even though they are rights partners, they've bought the rights and that kind of thing, but it's still about building those relationships and making sure that the kind of content's going out there. So we're working with broadcasters, publishers, influencers, um, to really drive the message for FIBA, whether whether it's a competition, uh, well, actually generally around the competitions, to be honest with you, driving up Which the Which you've got a lot up. of. Yeah, there's a lot of them. And honestly, within FIBA media, we don't kind of cover them all. There's a, a lot that the uh, FIBA... Uh, comms guys will be will be doing and covering themselves as well. What do you mean when you tour and media? Mm-hmm. How would you define that? Well, so you've got your owned and operated, so that's FIBA's websites, mobile apps, that kind of environment. 
you've got your paid, which is basically the peso your, model. Yeah, yeah, the the classic model. Yeah, so you've got your paid, which is obviously all the um, you know whether it's paying Facebook, Google, or whoever it is to make sure your message is out there. That's one bit. And then yeah, for me, influences is a bit of a difficult one these days because you probably just stick it under paid and be done with it. Um, again, going back to my previous experience, actually, you could get quite a lot of earned media. Uh, through influencers you know you could do much more of a value exchange rather than the straight hard cash that seems to happen more in the in the sports sports world but maybe i'm a bit of a traditionalist and and an optimist (laughs) in thinking that i don't have to pay these people but the reality is they don't just take tickets they don't just take tickets no No, well so sometimes i think it's again it's all about the relationships you want to build with these people and and the value exchanges because any organization has a platform and it's how valued that platform is to any other partner about how you can manage to work together, really, I think. If you look at MBA, we yeah. go into that in a little bit, yeah. because obviously yeah. that's separate. Sure. But you talk influencers, you look at Madison Square Garden, yeah. it's a massive part of who's on that front row. Oh, yeah, totally. totally. Whether it's Beyonce, whether it's Beckham, whoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's an iconic stadium, right? And you talk oh, about love a pla- platform. Yeah. I'm lucky I have been. Who's it? Nick's play there? Yeah, Nick's, yeah. I'm lucky enough that I have been, I've been to a few NBA stadiums in my time, but yeah, they've built a platform, they've built an icon that people want to turn up to, and therefore, yeah, it makes it, it makes it easier for these influential people to turn up and be there, you know. So, what's your primary objectives? Would you say what goals do you set yourself? Uh, goals is going to be honestly around video views, reach, awareness of the sport again, because uh, how do you measure that awareness of the sport? Uh, generally, it will be follower bases, uh, number of engagements. We have looked at media value, but I would say we've done it at the moment. At least my team, we're working in a in a quite a manual process at the moment. So we, we've we've been calculating it ourselves. I know, obviously, some of the work that the FIBA marketing team are doing at the moment that sit on the sponsorship side of life um, are working with people to look at you know if the logo seen on a picture how much media value is that driving so it's that kind of other metric as well and then through you know the ott piece you know it's it's revenue and sales and how many subscribers we've got and that kind of thing yeah retention all that yeah and you know any any marketing activity you've got to be clear on what you're measuring and and know what your success is and make sure the business knows what success is because i think you said it earlier there's no point particularly around brand and things like that brand marketing it's not a sales thing so you're not going to sit there and try and put a sales metric against what is brand activity it's just it's nonsensical and the business has got to understand that this won't deliver sales today that we can measure from point a to point b but it may deliver deliver <coughs> excuse me sales that at a later stage or it may drive you know in in the world of FIBA it may drive more participation and more people watching the sport but it's not going to happen overnight and immediately and be that tra- that's one of the all things all the way back to PR TV advertising now digital yeah is how do you measure it what is success yeah it's not someone's going to click this button necessarily and buy something yeah. now which is an yeah. easy one yeah or track their consumer behaviour. As you said, it's going to be yeah. pr- probably a delayed process, yeah. which is completely immeasurable. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's other things that we maybe not seen so much in sports yet, but things like net promoter score, where basically the question is, would you recommend this to another person? And you, it's literally a gauge of yes or no. And 
that is, you know, it's a brand thing, but, but net promoter score gets correlated against sales and stock, and all of a sudden you see the correlation between the two. My next question is going to be around around digital, obviously. Yeah. But what's, what role does it play in, I'd say, a traditional sport, but a sport like basketball? Yeah, I'd, I'd actually say probably, well, basketball's quite old, I'd say it's probably one of the least traditional sports um, out there. There's just so many different aspects of it, right? So from... Uh, performance data and stats yeah. to how do you define what digital is now within FIBA because obviously what you do in digital yeah that's not digital across the whole organisation no, no, abso- absolutely not I mean I think the way you can define digital uh, well let's just say across any sports federation I'd like to I'd like to think is it's a way of either attracting fans and engaging fans in the sport so it's it has a purpose of growth and retention, um, but it's also got a, another process of you know making processes easier. So again, I I don't deal with this piece. Thankfully, there's other people within FIBA that do it. But even just things like accreditations, making sure that we've got digital systems in place to make the accreditation process super super smooth is another piece of digital. You know, and that's the thing. I think there's digital as a product and digital as marketing and probably and digital as sponsorship there's lots and lots of different ways that digital's being because it's almost and it's kind of providing solutions and making yeah, things smoother yeah, yeah. so you know how easy is it can you you know contactless payments within stadiums is exactly another one. yeah yeah um, absolutely performance data which helps the teams perform better yeah. is another one broadcast because the broadcast yeah, is, yeah. there's just so many different yeah, touch points absolutely absolutely and I think you can only tackle a few of those you can't, that, yeah, yeah you can't be across all you know, of them. Yeah. I've, I've always stuck within the kind of almost digital fan engagement yeah it's probably the main area that yeah. I've always concentrated yeah. on and I, I, I'd performance probably... side great yeah it's not really anything I've ever done. Yeah. I do think, though, there's... Yeah, I, I'd agree. I probably do sit in the world of fan engagement more than more than any other place. I think... Um, I do think there... When it gets interesting is when you start blending those things together a little bit more. Uh, I don't think enough of that happens. But, again, I think we all suffer from, like, short-termism in terms of, like, performance and getting the thing we need to that, unfortunately, these things become... Because that's always been the holy grail, is how can we get performance data and use it as a fan engagement tool? Yeah. But that has issues within it, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. How's that within what you've experienced? Like, Uh, you wanted to do something that would be great. I, I I think the thing that we've found is is that one performance sports performance data is only for a hardcore fan. And really it's about how do you articulate that data in a way that is going to make it even interesting for a hardcore fan, let alone a casual casual fan. And some of it's around data visualisation and that kind of stuff, but then it gets into, okay, so how are we going to scale that? Because actually they're quite complex data stories you're trying to... S- trying to tell and you've got to try and tell them in a really, really sort of simplistic way because, again, people are basically flicking on their phone for like two seconds and, and quite frankly if they haven't got it in two seconds they're never going to get they're never <laughs> going to get it because they'll just move on to the next thing yeah and something like basketball is quite fast moving sport anyway yeah yeah your, your opportunities to tell a story when this, suddenly it's already gone on to yeah. another story yeah. really really brief yeah kind of, well, the periods between games and there's a lot of games yeah and a lot of events yeah, that you're doing, is, yeah, yeah it's probably quite easy to get lost in that or quite hard to find a narrative that runs yeah, across them all yeah I think one of the things that I quite like around some of that stuff is actually the AR stuff again we're not like 100% getting into that kind of world but you just kind of see it come out of the NBA and there's a lot of suppliers doing that kind of stuff now where actually 
seeing on screen how the height that they're jumping as they're dunking the ball in the replays i think that stuff's quite interesting because it it adds the motion into it you still got the action there and it doesn't you don't end up sucked into just like zeros and ones and data and and that kind of stuff you mentioned nba i'll yep. jump onto this yeah go for it is nba a kind of elephant in the room How no you, no because they set so. they set a very very high bar don't yeah, they? yeah do you do. feel the need that you need to be kind of going to those levels how do you work and look at what they do i think we work and again we are just starting conversations with the nba about how can we work together towards the world cup that's coming up in september uh, and that's been interesting it's like how can we tie editorial lines together to help promote both the world cup and and obviously that them because uh, you know a lot of their players will end up in in the world cup um I was listening to a podcast recently where they apparently the NBA spent 50 million on the ref replays room where effectively whenever there's a game going on and a ref twiddles their their finger in the air that goes back to this ref replay room where there's like 120 screens and they've got referees like replaying and rewinding and working on the camera angle to give that ref the best view possible to make a better this is decision. like VAR to another level yeah yeah and so when you when you're spending 50 million quid on just making a rest decision better you know we've all got to cut our cloth according to our means mm. uh, uh, and the NBA do great things and 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 rightly so but we're, we're different as well and I think you have to kind of respect that how, how do you position yourselves because if you mention basketball to pretty much anyone yeah it's NBA absolutely yeah. I've been to a EuroLeague finals day. yeah which was fantastic. Yeah. I think the final was Real Madrid's Galatasaray. Yeah. 10,000 people in the O2, it was bonkers. It was yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Really, really enjoyed it. But in the UK, we probably get a slightly warped because we're probably more on the American side than we are on the European yeah. side. Yeah, I would probably, yeah, I'd say that. Yeah, that's probably. So, how do you market, how would you market yourselves to? FIBA's like this, there's FIBA the competitions, and then there's FIBA the the federation and the federation is there to help grow you know the vision is or or the mission if you like is is to is to make basketball the most popular sports community so we're not a necessarily about a league we're actually about like the growth of the game as, as a whole the competitions well when you get to the world cup you know we're going to have the world's best players that at the game and and then it, to the fan, it's a lot about like the national pride. When we did the qualifiers this year, that was really about for the first time ever you'd get to see your home team on your home, on your home court, uh, which had not been done before, you know. And that to me was again playing back to that national pride. The campaign that we did was called "This Is My House," which is a, a bit of a classic kind of basketball saying, and and really kind of drives it back, literally back home. This is my house, kind of thing. So for for I think you know a lot of our position particularly with the world cup has been around the kind of national pride piece where does the olympics fit into this because tokyo 2020 is big yeah so part of the and basketball is a huge part of yeah yeah olympics. and and um, p- part of the uh, world cup helps some of the teams qualify into the olympics so really that's kind of the bit that we're we're playing and we have some we we are advising the olympics in in some capacity around the competition as well one of your aims of what you do is trying to kind of increase viewership for the broadcast globally. Yeah. How do you go about that? Because that's not a small task. A lot of it for us is is making sure that we're working with the broadcasters and giving them as much content and information as we possibly can to make their lives as easy as possible, whether it's literally templated 
imagery where they can just drag and drop their logo and a couple of images and get it out via social to make sure they've got all the data about the teams for their broadcast commentators and that, and that kind of stuff to making sure that they're well represented within any of FIBA's owned channels. So it's really a mixture of, of all that and spending time talking to them face to face. Also looking at other opportunities, things like trophy tours and how can we collaborate with these broadcasters there. So how do you work with, because you'll have broadcasters in certain markets, Yeah. what do you do with the dark markets? So when we don't have broadcast deals, that's where we'll go back to our OTT platform and that's where people can watch watch the rest of it. So there's always a fallback on live basketball TV um, so that people can watch yeah. all the competitions there. Do you still doing live on Facebook? Yes. Yeah, well, I say we, I mean, again, that's probably more the comms team. Our role is to make sure from FIBA Media that they've got the content. So, we, yeah, we have livebasketball.tv uh, and we kind of make a call on whether we push it out into a market for free or, or stick it behind a paywall, really. Uh, and it's kind of done on a pretty much a case-by-case basis. But I'd, I'd say at the moment, I mean, I think FIBA streams something like, I know I'm going to get shot for getting this wrong now, but something like 1,700 matches last year, something like that. Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad I got that about right. <laughs> uh, Trying to remember back to yeah, when I suppose, arena. Yeah, yeah. And again, some of this stems to how the rights have been set up. And for me, coming into this organ, coming into sports generally, having to understand the way rights are set up was pretty complex and, and trying to work through some of that. So as FIBA Media, we, own, we control, control is probably a bit of a strong word, but we have the rights for certain competitions or certain parts of competitions. So for the youth under 19s, for instance, we have the rights to, to sell for the semi-finals onwards. Anything before the semi-finals is actually FIBA owned, not FIBA media owned, and therefore FIBA will kind of manage how that content goes out into market. I'm always curious, especially in this day and age with so many OTT platforms. Yeah as we're sat in one at the moment. Yeah, then. yeah. How do you strike that balance between paywall content and free-to-air content, which could be social media live content, it could be broadcast live content, because there's, all, there's always a balance between how do I reach as many people as I can yeah. versus how we need to make some money. Yeah. First and foremost, I'm not the person that really makes that decision. Uh, I'm the guy that will influence it, but at the end of the day, you know, the commercial need will come over any other I would say you know at the end of the day you know where where do any sports rights holders make their money from broadcast sales from things like merchandising and and things like sponsorship you know and and rightly so because we need money to grow the sport generally you know and I think that's one of the beauties of sports federations in particular is they are there not as a you know not as a profit making thing but more as a how do we grow the sport for the betterment of the sport and that kind of do stuff do you see more and more right holders developing their own propositions direct to consumer you've got your app that you know you can yep. OTT that people can sign up for Formula One has MotoGP has yeah there's more and more more and more of these coming here do you see that growing I, th- I feel like there's always going to be a place for it, but equally there, won't, there will never be a mass market for it. So, you know, people have OTT platforms to make sure that they can get all the reach that they need, potentially, not rely on like a third party YouTube all the time and maybe use it as a way of capturing data. I think there's a, there's a level with any single sport OTT platform that you're going you're gonna to reach. 
Um, as you said, that's going to be your hardcore fan. More it's like always going to be. I mean, you look at like NBA. Yeah. Uh, you know, the people buying Game Pass. It's a premium product. It costs a lot. You actually get quite a lot as well. And I think that's part of the the challenge for anybody that's going to try and put an OTT single sport OTT platform together is you've got to be delivering more than that fan can see on their and the quality TV top. Yeah. And I think, you know, the people that are doing it really well are are the guys are providing some more exclusivity on content, more coverage than you'd end up seeing on your TV box. Sounds sounds a your bit TV old box. school. <laughs> sounds a bit old school. Um, you know, NBA League Pass is something uh, I'll buy because I'm into basketball. But that's kind of, I'm not going to probably then go and buy another single sport product. Yeah. And, and again, I think... Uh, the zone are trying to really answer that at the moment trying to you know be that sports product for a general sports fan rather than just a just a yep. super hardcore the other piece that I guess that's interesting in the OTT space at the moment is when you're looking at like the Disney's that are kind ESPN of plus all those guys game, yeah. that are kind of trying to work out what they're going to do with like it very deep pockets yeah well. exactly, exactly which you need to get into the game yeah you, ma- the zone yeah. of finding out yeah so. yeah so looking at that and what's going on and maybe seem we have a bit of first starter advantage from a design point of view and so seeing how that grows up around us is going to be yeah it's going to be fascinating be space. interesting yeah totally something I wanted to ask you that's close to our hearts with SQN is tech brands do you see many getting involved with basketball at the moment and what do you think there are opportunities for more tech brands to get involved it depends what kind of tech brand you're talking about to be honest um, could be anything from your Microsoft IBM yeah I know. mean you could consider I mean I'd almost consider Dre Beats a tech brand yeah. as well Dre Beats and basketball match made in heaven mm. um, just bang on target audience I've, I actually came from B2B technology that was kind of what I spent a lot of my career doing and marketing the target audience is the bit you've got to get right and the other bit I spent most of my life doing was working out who are our audience and how do we want to talk to them yeah. and very very rare would I, I go, it's hard because a tech company traditionally will go is, a, is what you came from from yeah. B2B yeah yeah absolutely. so they're not after the direct can, yeah. the, the main fan yeah. they're after senior level fans of basketball yeah. yeah and I guess you know when you think about that from uh, it's you know it's going to like Intel for instance may go in but really they're just making sure they've got a hospitality box on tap whenever they need it yeah. to, I mean to, they had things like uh, the Winter Olympics yeah which was on home territory yeah so it was a big thing for them yeah and you know they use that as an experimental pad yes yeah. his walk potentially things could look like in the next five, ten yeah, years. Yeah, 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 yes. So I guess, with it, like with anything, and I'm probably not giving you a straight answer because I just don't think there is one, but but like with anything, you've got to just, is there a business case to go into basketball or Winter Olympics or whatever? Yeah, if you can demonstrate innovation within what you're doing. Oh, who was it did something with Wimbledon? IBM do most of the stuff with Wimbledon. That's right, and they did Watson. They got Watson, yes. From what I can remember, that was a really good tie-up. You could yeah. see how you've brought It's a sport. long-term tie-up yeah, they've yeah, had as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, IBM bring a lot to the party. It's yeah. not just, here's a yeah. sticker. Well, you can't stick a, anything on a shirt in yeah. Wimbledon because it's yeah. completely clean away. Yeah, yeah. So they probably had to be a little bit more inventive and, and they tell the story of yeah. the technology side. Yeah. And I think they had a... They had a painting or an image that was made up that was purely by Watson that was made up of images. Wow, Um, that's cool. 
which looks amazing and obviously the more data they're feeding into it the more intelligence it's getting yeah. around that subject yeah. so year on year they kind of can tell a slightly different yeah. story whether there's a Watson story they've done been doing for the last couple of years whether that now moves on to something else yeah. but yeah it's how you tell those technology stories that how you're helping you like a traditional brand or a rights holder yeah but again step. you know you take like uh, a t- I don't know take another tech company in something like particularly if you're trying to go for that B2B high end CEO then Polo and those kind of sports mm. that you would think attract a more affluent uh, individual probably you know a good place Henley Regards is probably another good, good example of where there is definitely a more affluent feel about it and and if yeah. you're trying to attract a high end audience that's, that, that's where you'd, you'd go very quickly We'll get onto the end questions in a, in a moment. Yeah. But one thing I did want to cover was kind of, which hopefully fits into your thing, is branded content. Yeah. Um, in terms of how involved do you get in that? Because that's obviously sponsorship is led with a different area. Yeah, it's with Fever Marketing, yeah. And but there's obviously probably a little bit of a crossover in terms of yeah. to work with you in terms of maximising. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, one pretty significant place is the influencer work we do, actually. So um, we were out at the draw in China for the, for the World Cup, which was... A, pretty uh, epic event uh, we had an 8,000 ticketed event with Kobe Bryant Yao Ming and Jason Derulo and all, all sorts going on there the the influencer piece was something where there was a lot of crossover where we would make sure that uh, um, the influencers were at the molten ball launch for instance and obviously that's giving us more visibility in terms of the draw the influencer is generating that content for us and obviously you've got molten in the mix as well so there's been some good crossover pieces there and it's a little bit more than just slapping a logo on a video or an end card or something like that there was some real engagement around the ball and do you work with the brands um, and kind of what those video content can be um, and try to kind of add them in without it being too obvious yeah i mean i i'd say sometimes it's a little bit more ad-libbed as well like we'll get the influencer there let's see what's available to us and and then we'll build some stories out of it which actually probably works and it feels a little bit more organic, feels a bit more natural to the influencers. But uh, yeah, we definitely are working with brands to do that. I think we've got a way to go. But again, you know, that's that's us working with the FIBA marketing team and, and, and making sure that we've got everything we need from them and they've got everything we need from us to make make you these activations with them. Yeah, there's kind of like within, within you've got FIBA media, FIBA communications and FIBA marketing. Um, and we all work very, very closely together, but also have our own sort of goals and objectives and things. Because that would be quite easy done. to get a disconnect and lack of communication yeah, going yeah. through. Yeah, I own this bit of this. You're not touching it. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely don't think it's like that. We all, we all kind of know our box, if you like, but we also know where we can help add value to it to each other. Um, so it's been, yeah. You know, obviously, only been in for what uh, almost two years now, uh, and I do think. And again, FIBA Media as a marketing element of this was was brand new then. And I definitely think we've learned along the way about who can add value where and where. Good ideas come from everywhere, but it's just about how we can use them and, and that kind of stuff. Finally, I did want to catch what we spoke about if you listen to the other parts of this podcast yeah and uh, the real marketing wrap yeah can you give a quick overview of why it exists? What why why what is this passion project of yours? Yeah, so uh, it really exists because myself and Tim who met on Twitter which sounds like a bad date um, <laughs> had ba- basically met on Twitter got chatting because we were similar people who liked similar things um, then met at a conference 
then had a few beers then got to a point of we should really do like write a write a book together which never materialized uh let's start a blog together that never materialized but we've always just managed to sort of stay I, I guess we're keen creators just maybe don't have as much time as we'd like to do the creating and finally we kind of stumbled across let's get a podcast going real marketing rap was born out of the fact i bought a domain realmarketingrap.com way before we thought about a podcast and it was just sitting there and again it might become become another blog or something i don't i don't really know at that at that point um i've always been into hip-hop as i think we've probably talked about already and Tim kind of just went along with it, bless him. <laughs> like, um, I, being an indie guy, I'm not sure he was massively keen on it. But, but we, you know, at the time it was like, we've got it, let's just go with that. And, and the, the passion behind it is really just wanting to talk to other marketers and like-minded people about the stuff they're doing. As part of my career, I spent maybe five years working for the Institute in Direct and Digital Marketing as a kind of moonlighting role, if you like. Uh, teaching social uh, kind of doing the social media award for them and the thing that I loved about that wasn't as much me telling everybody how great social media is and how you should use it but more speaking to them about their challenges and how maybe we could help each other solve them together and that's for me is kind of what the podcast is about it's kind of like all right I'm not necessarily solving problems on the spot necessarily but definitely talking about them and sharing sharing them with other people so it's part about creation, part about selfishly learning more from other people, and then the third bit about obviously, hopefully, giving back a little bit uh, as well. Yeah, so definitely tune into Real Marketing Rap, which you'll find us doing reverse roles, yes, and some much better podcasts before that as well. So definitely sign up for those. We've got to finish off on this question in terms of what is something quite new for you. So something quite new for me was actually reading an article uh, fairly recently from uh, Martin Sorrell, who's, you know, if you know your agency life, you know he's, a, he's fairly high well, If you've up ever there. been to leaders, you probably heard him speak. Yeah, you might, you might have seen him once or twice. But it, he's recently talked about going back to the 90s in terms of how we're delivering marketing. Um, and he has all, kind of in the way that we try and blend we blend creativity and media together and it's probably not been done particularly well you still get these creative agencies and these media agencies and he's definitely trying to bring the two back together i've not seen it done a lot well even like working client side in in various other organizations it's hard to bring those two things together and actually make them feed off each other in a way that it again a creative idea can come out of a media execution as much as it can a creative message and the two things can really feed off each other. Uh, and the other bit that was interesting is really he's talking about genuinely being always on and not so many more big campaign tentpole moments and more about how you continuation and iteration and all that other kind of stuff. And it's kind of mad to me that we're even still talking about the need to be doing that. I think, I think if you think about the web UX environment, I think it's happening. The fact that it's still not quite happening in maybe the creative environment is interesting and something that I think we all need to look at. I think we, in the events, you said it yourself in the previous one, you just, it's flat lines and then it spikes and then it flat lines again until the next event comes yeah. along. And I think one of the gaps that uh, you talk, going back to some of the objectives are trying to fill is like, how do we continue the story in between events? Like, how can we make sure that people don't forget about us after it's gone? And I'm not saying we're going to totally 
be at the top of the the peak and then flatline like that will not happen as in never drop but I think we can get Just ourselves the, to a place the drops less the, yeah exactly yes, which is the ultimate aim for yeah. which is hard for a regatta or a Wimbledon or ones like that that it is literally one period yeah. short period yeah. in a year how yeah. do you tell that story over without boring people to death yeah for 50 51 weeks yeah of the year. absolutely yeah but I think again and then that plays back into going back to the players and the lifestyle and the culture and just trying to bring more of that out into the sport and um, starting to see sports as more well and again it probably sounds a little cliche but seeing sports more as entertainment than just sports and, and thinking about how we can apply some of that philosophy into into it basically so yeah again with some of like the the publisher work we're doing as FIBA Media it's really about trying to write those lifestyle cultural stories that can create their own little peaks because we didn't know that bit of information about that particular player and his history with the game and and all that kind of stuff or whether it's you know the best sneakers or I know Rena did an article around uh, tattoos uh, which was pretty cool and, and, and did pretty well as well so you know it's trying to find these other stories that are going to actually create a bit of uh, interest but it, also, you know, it sounds a bit daft but also have some sort of affinity with with your audience like tattoos kind of work in basketball maybe not going to work so well in uh, Wimbledon or <laughs> yeah or some or something like that you yeah. know so I think it is about spending the time to think about how you can fill those gaps a bit more It was a really enjoyable chat. Thanks to Joe so much for taking the time for his insights. If you want to find out more about SQN and how we can help your business make the most of sponsorship and communications, then visit us online, www.sqn.agency, or across social media, we're at Twitter, at SQN Agency, or on LinkedIn. And remember to listen to Joe's show, The Real Marketing Rap, with me, talking hopefully some kind of sense. Plus, you can find out what my favourite hip-hop track of all time is. Yeah, because that's why we're really here, Dan. Anyway, thanks a lot for listening. Until next time, remember to subscribe and if possible, leave us a rating or review. They make a huge difference. Bye.